Welcome to Getting Apps Done, a mostly non-technical podcast with the goal of helping you deliver software with your hosts, Joshua Graham and Kel Piffner. I talk a lot about data structures now. It's a little strange now that like how far I've made it into my career without actually talking about things like cues and graphs and all of that. And now I'm having to like learn how they work so I can teach others. <laughs> it's like, oh, I know what this does. Oh, this isn't as bad as I thought. That is something that I've noticed, uh, particularly talking to junior developers is, and I remember when I was new at development and learning all these things, I don't know half the stuff they're talking about. Not by name, at least. And then the moment I see what they're talking about, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a linked list, a.k.a., you know, an object that refers to another object that refers to another object. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing complicated with well, it. Well, they'll say a name for something. I'm thinking, what are they talking about? And then I realize it's actually something really basic that I just I don't need a name for because I never think about it anymore. I certainly mm -hmm. did when I started. But again, you know, there's, there's that difference in context. Yeah. That's why yeah, a lot it's of good to have a mentor who's just a little bit ahead of you, mm -hmm. uh, as well as one who's way ahead. Is I think you should really should have a lot of different mentors that provide different sorts of input. It's really good yeah. to have one who's just a little bit ahead of you because they're in that same context. They understand, but they're just a little bit far enough ahead exactly. that they can help. I've been pushing that for like teachers. Like my, I, I've noticed that I have I have a TA who just finished graduating, so. I, we haven't mentioned on this thing before, but I've been teaching at a code full code fellows, a uh, code school. Uh, but like I'm way ahead of all of these folks I'm teaching. And sometimes that's great. And then sometimes they like totally don't get whatever it was that I was trying to describe to them and they totally need a translator. And the my TA can help them with that, like translating because she just finished the code school, too. And it's like just just enough ahead to describe the thing and explain it in a different, more useful, like closer to the right context way. And I would argue that like a lot of teachers should be like that. Like there definitely needs to be the just finished version of the teacher. Yeah. And it has the other bonus of to teach, you have to like learn a thing better than you need it to use it because you have to be able to answer questions around just the one thing that you use. And that kind of, you know, it's, it's useful to teach. You actually have to learn a lot yourself. So. And that was something I did find interesting. I started to look at some of that a little bit more when you did start teaching and uh, certainly for mm -hmm. everyday use I have a certain level of knowledge of things and it is very much breadth over depth in a lot of cases because mm -hmm. I'm looking at big picture things and I need to consider how these pieces fit together but I don't really have to think about how exactly a queue works I know that's what I need in that spot it's part of the puzzle right but I don't need to know exactly what it's going to do and I'm not going to go into that level of detail right. until I really need to which most software development really never happens. It's good to understand basically what it is. And I did learn all those things at one stage, but mm -hmm. it just kind of it filters out of your brain because, you know, a queue is a queue and yeah, that's what I need here and I don't yeah. need it here. And I gave a lot of car analogies of the, the transmissions, my favorite one, because, you know, even people who work on cars regularly don't usually don't dig in and rebuild a transmission unless they absolutely have to because yeah. it's a nightmare. But it's like it's a box and it does a thing and you don't really care how. Like you don't know how each gear interacts to create, you know, to go from forward to reverse. Half the time you don't even know it's a transmission. It's the stick in your car that changes yeah. it from, you know, park to one or three or D, right? Like you don't have to know how everything works to be able to use a thing. But it's useful if you know how a thing works to predict how that thing will behave when you change something else. So like knowing more or less what a transmission does, you can guess that 
you know, I've used one and I've used drive. Well, I have a pretty good guess what two is going to do based on that information and what I know about a car. Um, but yeah, like it's, you don't need to know the detailed details to be able to use the thing. And as programmers, we generally don't like most of the time we're working at framework levels, like high level framework stuff. We're building, you know, CRUD apps. We're just making the simple database apps. You don't need to know how database storage actually works in a binary format to use a database. No. I with the car analogy, though, uh, there is certainly some merit to learning some of those things. Uh, one of the mm -hmm. things that really helped me figure out how to drive a stick wasn't my parents shouting at me, do this, do that. <laughs> I actually I got wound up with all that. I went to the library. This, again, will show my age, but I went to the library and I got a book. <laughs> <laughs> That showed how... It's like, we're not that old, but how do we feel this old? It's all because of the technology. It is, and wants. I've said this to a lot of people. I said, you know, the reality is there's a divide. There are people who grew up with the internet and people who didn't. And mm -hmm. the world that they grew up in is a very different thing. And I'm kind of terrified about my kids because they're growing up in a world that I didn't, <laughs> and I now have to figure out all this stuff. And like Snapchat, I don't have any clue why anybody uses Snapchat. I finally got my head around Twitter, but I think I'm about 10 years behind everybody else. It's yeah, I've had an account for seven years and I have 59 followers. So, you know, I'm doing really great. <laughs> yeah. I. But yeah, anyway, your book on. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got this book on uh, transmissions and it showed me how a clutch worked and what the flywheel was and mm -hmm. how the compression. Of the, and suddenly right. it clicked and I. Oh, so when I lift my foot up, it's ah, and that's why I can't just. Oh, OK. And right. understanding yeah, a little exactly. bit of detail, I didn't need to know exactly how the gears worked or anything like that. I just, that mm -hmm. little bit of extra information was just enough for me to start to get that to click. And then I, it was no problem after that. I immediately went out, got in the car, took off, mm -hmm. no problem. That was it. Exactly. That's and that's where I've been, like, I feel like that's an important thing with the teaching. And that's almost the hard part of teaching, too. It's like, what's the bare minimum you need to know to really get the concept, but also not really dig into the weeds though you could like learn to drive a stick by first building your own like stick shift like that is a a thing that you could do you but would quite understand what goes into it then that sounds excessive also not necessary right exactly it's like you could learn to program by starting off by building your own virtual machine like the jvm you could totally do this but i don't know i'd recommend it no like, there are easier ways to come by this knowledge well not only easier <laughs> but the reality is for 99% of the work developers mm -hmm. are likely to do, they don't need to know any of those details. You will have a few yeah. who get into a particular set of tasks that they really do need to understand. But then that's when you dive into those things. Or you might specialize exactly. in it if that's really what you want to do. But that's uh, not going to be most developers. And that is one thing that I do worry about. I've seen a lot of developers who... And it's not just developers. Uh, I've seen a lot of people in general who worry so much about learning everything that they never actually go mm -hmm. do the stuff. Yes. They spend so much time. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I just want to learn everything. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I've seen CVs come across my desk at times where people were asking for advice and they're showing me the job that they want to apply for. And I'm looking at it and thinking, yeah, you might actually be a little bit overqualified. And they're like, I don't know these two things that they asked for, though. You know 95% of what they're asking for. That's oh, better yeah. than most other candidates they're ever going to see. <laughs> they were hoping to get 50%, and you're going to walk in with 95 You might not get the job because you're overqualified, and you're worried that you're underqualified. Right. 
Uh, that's a problem all by its own. So I've, that's the, I give a lot of talks. People ask me, well, what do interviewers expect? And I'm like, well, most interviewers are kind of shit at interviewing. Like they're the random person they grabbed and said, hey, we need you to interview a candidate. Like <laughs> it takes practice. I know I was shit at it. When I was I say, that's it, almost exactly like, what they said to me the first time I had to interview somebody. So-and-so isn't here. You get in here. Uh, what am I yeah, doing? Exactly. You're going to interview this person. I For what? <laughs> Exactly. And I think I got hauled into one just because they needed an extra voice. Yeah. <laughs> just like, okay, I'm good. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, certainly. And a couple of them. I got called in for yeah. the same thing. We need three people in the room. We can't have any less than three. We just want you to sit in there. Uh, am I supposed okay. to ask questions or anything? Um, if you think of if anything. Okay. Right. And it's like, there is no set and dry cut example for these things. It's totally who knows what their skill level is. They might be really crappy at interviewing people, which means your own skill isn't important. Like who knows if you'll be whiteboarding or answering, you know, weird technical questions or, you know, my favorite, I've had the same riddle twice in interviews now, you know, taking the, the fox, the chicken and the chicken feed across the river. I've had that like twice and I've heard other people have that one, which is a little excessive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At some stage you just memorize it. nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember the trick is to to take one of them back. Yeah, and that's the, rest doesn't the big really thing. You can figure it out. And you know, yeah, that's it. your hint for anyone listening. Yes, <laughs> if they ask you that one, you got to take one back. Which one is up to you to figure out? Yeah, there we go. I, I do <laughs> kind of like questions like that sometimes because it does. I, if it's not been asked four hundred thousand times and you've heard this one before, it does make you stop and think a little bit. And I want to see that people can think for themselves and come up with creative solutions that I. I, I tend to do ones like that if it's to calm them like this is a fun question this is a silly yeah. question because like a lot of the problems during like interviews is it's so hard to get somebody to calm down and it lessen the anxiety level down to the point where you can actually find out their actual skill level because they're terrified about you know eating and sleeping and having oh, a home yeah. it's like if you can get them down and back to normal then you can have so much better conversations and ask them more interesting questions if they're not terrified of everything. Well, that is one thing I like but, about that question. It's kind of silly, and most likely half right. of them have already heard of it before because it is overused. But it's something that you kind of walk in, and if you don't get it right, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And I will quite often tell them right. if you don't get this right, it doesn't matter. But I just I want to see the reaction it. to it, and that's a lot of what it is. But in a lot of time, yeah. But the obvious it is that people will ask those types of questions without that that you know, preface of this isn't that important. Calm down. We're just playing like, and they're like, Oh God, how do I answer this riddle? Or I'm not going to get a job. And I'm going to get, you know, no. And the panic fits in. And to be honest, the yeah. panic isn't entirely unmerited because as you say, some people are really crappy mm -hmm. interviewers and they actually want you to have the oh, right yeah. answer to that question. <laughs> oh yeah. Whiteboard interviews are nuts. Like people are, you know, you're up, you're supposed to write, you know, bubble sorts or merge sorts or whatever on a whiteboard and if you don't know the answer you don't get the job and it's just like uh do you do this often like is this part of my job to implement sorting algorithms on your framework like i would hope that you already had those i can google it really quick and show you a gif of how those work yeah <laughs> i am really glad that i don't have to go through any of those things anymore because i don't think i mm. would i think i'd probably just walk out <laughs> forget this i've actually I'm gonna go do some... woodworking <laughs> right I've actually heard some folks go who have, have responded, is this part going to be part of my job? And if so, I will answer. And if not, then no, pick a better question. I'm just like, wow, that's that's kind of a power move interview right there. I, they didn't get the job. <laughs> you know, though, I've had people say things like that and then hired them because they said something like that. Yeah. Because it was on point and, yep, fair enough, you're right. Um, yeah, it, it really depends, though, and it's like, 
Yeah, like the best the best thing I can do, especially for developers, because you do have like you do have a buffer. Like there are so many development jobs that you can be a little bit picky. You can push your own personality and be, you know, slightly picky on those kinds like, of things. Like you do not have to work for a shit company. I would say not but it's a lot harder not for everybody. just can push your own personality, but absolutely should. Partially mm, because mm. You know, when I'm interviewing people, I'm looking for that. I want them to show a little bit of personality because I don't want to work with a robot. If I wanted to work with a robot, <laughs> well, I work with computers already. Hire a robot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, well, in the, the personality aspect, like one thing I've been seeing a lot of is, you know, push your, your unique skills, your best skills, rather than all of the things you can do because those are more valuable. Those are the ways you can differentiate yourself and those are the things you can speak to better. And so it it shrinks your total market size of who could hire you, but it makes you more interesting to the people that you actually want to work that's for. That's a key and thing. And so there. if you are in a place that you possibly can, like that's the best way to do it. And it does tend to, you know, it filters out people you don't want to work for anyway and highlights the people that you do want to work for. So there's like a lot of bonus of, you know, pushing your, per your personality into resumes and interviews. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of CVs lately. I've been hiring and some things really wind me up. And that's actually one of them, that they put so much junk in there that I really don't care about because they want me to see all the things that they can do. Mm -hmm. And I, I absolutely understand it and I empathize with that. But then they don't put any personality <laughs> in there. They put so much stuff in there that I don't know. Is this just something that yeah. they got off a of Google printout or something? I just There's no personality <laughs> in there at all. I don't know if they like horseback riding or music or if they enjoy their job or... <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be that much personality, but just like write your resume, like we were giving advice this morning, right? Uh, the write a resume that you like, like write it the way that you would enjoy it and that you think is important and then get feedback on that. And then, you know, pick the feedback you like and keep iterating on that. You know, show your personality just through the, op the things you choose to put onto your resume rather than, you know, full dump and hoping for the best. You know, that's what a lot of people do. So what's the broadest range of crap I can jam onto my resume that might get me a job? Yeah. And I definitely have that. My resume is so dry and boring. It's awful. But I haven't actually needed it in quite a while. So. Spot on. If you really like that pink border, try it out with a few people. See what they say. Pink yeah. border, probably okay. If you have giant, pink, fluffy unicorns on your resume, maybe not so much. I think that's not going to get past too many people. <laughs> Yeah, it does depend. Like each, the more personality you show, the more of a filter you add. But the people who like it will be the most like you. Like there'll be people who appreciate pink unicorns. Like will be the ones who highlight. You will like go up in their list. And so you kind of want to like the things that you like that the broadest number of other people will also like. Like make look for the compatibility rather than just total. Yeah, there's got to be some overlap in there because otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, first off, if you are making your boring, dry resume because you're too afraid to offend anybody, you're probably offending somebody who hates boring, dry resumes like me. I hate them. I really do. I, I take, there, is, there is no winning on I that. I take yeah. one look at that. And I don't even want to read this. What? Oh, this one's got a pink border. I'll read that one. But, <laughs> And I know that's just me. That's not everybody. And some of it mm -hmm. will depend on the sort of sector you're in. Okay, if you're going to be a doctor, definitely no unicorns on your resume. If you're going to be a designer, though, yeah, maybe. Unicorns might be all yeah, right. Exactly. Well, and with the development industry, like nobody can really has really there are no real standards. No. Like <laughs> like the whiteboard interviewing. Like only some places do that. Most places do not because it's a nightmare and it doesn't help them any. And so 
there aren't really any standards. You can kind of make up your own and hope for the best. Well, it's not even and just that applies to resumes. You're too. not just hoping for the best, though. You are setting yourself up for the best because you are right. automatically discounting anybody who's going to do a stupid whiteboard test. You're automatically discounting mm -hmm. anybody who takes marks off because you had a pink border. <laughs> right. And exactly. You're, you're filtering those companies. Well, and the other side of that, too, is if you do iterate and create a better resume, you're setting the standard. And that's what a lot of what we've seen, like the, the first people to add like charts and stuff for their skill sets yeah. are maybe not the best way of doing that. But we're an improvement to a lot of people of, hey, I can see at a glance this is better. You know, you see more uh, data architecture in resumes to show off good information. And that's really Which valuable. That's great. Uh, one thing that I've actually stolen from my resume, I saw somebody who had gone through and they highlighted certain skills because they had lots mm. of skills in there for, you know, keyword fodder for job searches and things like that, which is great. Right, right. But they had highlighted things that, first off, were specific to the role they were applying for, which is good. And mm. second, were strengths of theirs, particular strengths. So we're a C-sharp house. They had highlighted C-sharp and I immediately, there's this big right. bold C-sharp in there. I knew this person has C-sharp, fantastic. They move on to the next step. <laughs> oh, they've also got JavaScript. Right. Excellent. And everything else was there. So if I wanted it, it was great and I could find it. But yeah. at a very quick glance, I could see all these bold things that immediately said, this is why I'm qualified for your job. And that's all I wanted to see. That was enough for me to put it in the pile of, mm. I am going to look into that some more. It was simple. It I, didn't offend anybody. Yeah. But it was just enough. Didn't filter out too many people. Right? Yeah. yeah. It was just enough that for me, that put them in the infilter. And it probably wasn't enough that anybody else would say, oh, I really hate that bold. Why did they bolt this and put it in the bin? Maybe they would, but I wouldn't want to work for that person anyway. So. Yeah, there, there are limits. I don't know. Now, though, I want to make a little tool that I can just type in some keywords and it auto highlights my resume. Like, <laughs> adds like keyword highlighting just for that kind of thing. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, yeah. Another one that I saw, I've mentioned I, this before, and I've heard mixed feedback on this one, but I really like this. Somebody put... Uh, basically one of the LinkedIn recommendations, referral things, at the bottom mm. of the CV. Mm -hmm. Which for me, because quite often I'll have a lot of CVs, I want everything right there. I don't want to have to go dig in LinkedIn. I absolutely do not want to dig through your GitHub account. I don't want to spend an hour deciding whether or not I want to interview you. If I can't figure it out in five minutes, it goes in the bin. Because I don't, you know, I would love to look at every CV and give it all due diligence because I'm sure I do miss some really great candidates. But I have a day job that I have to do as well. I can't spend all day long interviewing i can't turn it into a two month long well, this is a thing that's a great example too of like when we talk about interviewing there being no set process and who knows who's going to doing it like this isn't usually somebody's full-time job this is somebody who's like been tasked given a pile and has to filter it as best they can as quickly as possible so yeah yeah that and they might be doing it for their <laughs> company and I'll tell you, if it's a startup and they're doing it for their own company, they are busy as hell. They don't have time to mess about. If you don't have all the oh, details yeah. right there for them, it's not any good to them. They're immediately going to put you in the pile of, I'll look at that if I really have to, but otherwise I'm going to look at these nice looking ones. Yeah. yeah uh, cover letters are another. There is really no let. Oh, yeah. Cover letters are also good. Well, that's just showing effort, right? Like you, you want to invest. Well, it shows You know, you're effort. investing time and energy into your job post. And yeah, it's the one <laughs> chance you really have to, first off, show some real personality because you can do whatever you want in your cover letter. You can explain that, you know, you've been working hard and you've done all these personal projects and you really love software development. Or you can explain why your history as a mm -hmm. barista makes you perfect for software development. And mm -hmm. I've actually had some come across my desk that if I had just seen the CV, I would not have even looked at it twice. 
but because the cover letter explained why their history as a firefighter had given them this ability to deal with stressful situations and they worked with all kinds of people they loved the community and they supported all that and as a mm -hmm. hobby they were really interested in development they've been doing it for 10 years but they've never done it professionally and that was enough that I looked at the CV that just said, you know, I'm a firefighter and I've never done anything that has anything to do with computers before. <laughs> but I looked at it in, again because that cover letter was just enough right. for me to think, oh, you know, actually that could be really relevant and that could be really useful. Well, that's something like people don't really, you talk about cover letters and it's like nobody knows what to put on them, but that really is the what you're supposed to put on them. Imagine you're telling a friend like why you should do this job, why you're qualified to do this job, why you think you could do this job or you want to do this job. Like... Imagine describing that to just a random person, you know, do the rubber duck programming thing where you talk to talk to your duck. Um, but like that's that's the content that goes in your cover yeah. letter, like not necessarily explaining it to, you know, the person you're not trying to sell them something. You're just trying to explain yourself and why you think you're good at it, why you could try it, why you want to do it, why you're investing your time and energy and even applying like be you. And then, you know, that may or may not work. That's up to them. Like that's. That's the best case. Like, all you can be is yourself. Like, <laughs> it's a huge opportunity to explain who that is and why these things are relevant. Uh, my little sister is currently looking for jobs, and I've been trying to encourage her with, her with that. She was working in AmeriCorps for a long time. It really doesn't have that mm -hmm. much to do with what she wants to do, but what she does want to do requires a lot of leadership skill. And I keep telling her, you worked in AmeriCorps leading teams of teenagers carrying chainsaws, and nobody died. <laughs> <laughs> and you're telling me you don't have leadership exactly experience. That's how it should be phrased, too. And I, I said, <laughs> you should just take that verbatim, put it on your cover letter, and the first person <laughs> who reads that is going to say, yeah, that one right there. That's the fair. one I want leading my team. That is very fair. No one died. No one died. I mean, come on. Teenagers with chainsaws. Yeah. How is that not cool? Exactly. And that's a... And it is very much like you push your uniqueness, show the things that make you you, like be genuine and not everyone will like it. And oh, well, like that happens and that's fine. But you you will find you doing better the more genuine you are. Like people appreciate that. People really appreciate honest, genuine well, folks. People like so. people. That's the thing. We don't like mm -hmm. CVs. We like people. <laughs> and exactly. And you'll do much better if you're you're actually a person. Yes. And not a dry resume. Well, you know, some of these I get, they just look like an AI wrote them. I, I don't know if I could mm -hmm. tell the difference. If somebody wrote a little AI that oh. built CVs, I'm sure it would look exactly the same as most of the ones I get. In fairness, a lot of big companies use an AI to parse them, so it's just an AI talking to an AI. Which is probably also worth note because I know for a fact that I have done really nice looking CVs before and it went through an agency and I got a copy of it back mm -hmm. and it just it looked like the AI ate the whole thing. Uh, oh, yeah. So it is worth being aware of that. Another thing that is really absolutely worth being aware of that I hadn't really thought about uh, was I've been encouraging people to really work on their CVs and make sure that, you know, they've got LinkedIn stuff. If you're a front-end developer, make sure you got pictures mm -hmm. in LinkedIn because I want to see the work you do. But Michael actually pointed out something that I hadn't considered before that I think is really important. Don't spend so long working on your CV and tweaking it and adding more stuff to your profile and building out 254 apps in GitHub to prove that you know all this stuff and not actually go apply for jobs. <laughs> right. Don't let perfect it's get in the way of good. The, uh, 
Exactly. It's a little bit like, you know, it's time to ship your product eventually. Yes. And it's exactly what I preach when I'm talking to people about software. You know, when I've got developers who are saying, you know, it's it's not quite there. No, no, it, it's there. It's 90%. That's good enough. Ship it. Because they're going to get feedback anyway and everything's going to change. And it, mm -hmm. it's the same with your CV. You're going to get different feedback. Things are going to change. You're going to grow it as Cal said earlier, you're going to iterate right. upon it. And my CV, certainly when I was younger, it changed a lot drastically. But at some stage, I hit something that I thought, okay, this is working. And then I'd get feedback, and I would tweak it a little bit and tweak it a little bit. But I did this over time, over lots of different jobs. I didn't do it all before my first mm -hmm. job. My first CV was horrible. <laughs> it was... It was pathetic. <laughs> but there were a couple things in there that a hiring manager said, oh, I, I kind of like that. I had mentioned something about some charity work I had done, and he was really impressed with that, and he said mm. he'd go for that. And I would missed, would have missed that opportunity if I had spent the time trying to get the CV that I've got now because I couldn't have done it. I just I needed the experience. I needed right. to iterate. I needed the feedback, and I just didn't have it available. So don't keep tweaking without applying and getting that feedback and talking yeah. to people and getting jobs and all those things. Fail faster. Same as in programming. Fail faster is generally better. Absolutely. The faster you fail, the faster you can fix whatever you just failed at and try again. And there are a ridiculous number of jobs. It's not like you will run out of places to apply. No. And most places you can apply multiple times because they filter you out before you even read it. It's not like they, you know, if you made it to the interview, your CV did the job and you can like more or less not worry about it. <laughs> but no, yeah, uh, interviews are another yeah. thing. Take any interview you can get, particularly early on in your career. Uh, maybe not later mm -hmm. on, but I, to be honest, I have no desire to change my job. I love the company I work with, but I take an interview every once in a while because you have to practice these things. And particularly as a new person who hasn't done a lot of interviewing or tech interviewing in particular, mm -hmm. even if you're on your second career or third career or fourth career, interviewing in tech is a little bit different than it is in other places. And it's Absolutely. different in every tech place. So... Take interviews. <laughs> Even if you don't want the job, take the interview. Practice on the ones you don't want. Mess those up. So that when you do find the right <laughs> exactly. one, you've got some experience. You're not nervous about it because you've done this 100 times before mm -hmm. and you're ready to go. Okay, maybe not 100 because then you're starting to get into the territory of perfecting your interviewing skills too much and not applying for the real job. But, you know, <laughs> not actually. Working. go do a few of them and get some experience under your belt because it's the mm -hmm. same as everything else. You need feedback. You need to iterate. You need to improve and that's the way you do it, by doing it. Yeah, and unfortunately, like the more nervous you are, the more anxious you are, the worse you're going to do in your actual skills. It keeps you from performing to your best if you're scared of whatever it is because it's new and unusual and frightening. So it's better to practice and be, you know, not necessarily confident, but at least comfortable in that situation. In fact, I think something that would be really cool, and there are so many development communities on Twitter and places like that now, where junior developers can approach senior developers and hiring managers and things like that for jobs that may not even exist, but just ask them mm -hmm. if they'll hop on Skype with you and interview you. Oh, absolutely! In fact, yeah, I've been doing that at the like at the the school here. That's part of like part of the practice. Yeah, thing. Uh, just and if, practice interviews. If you're not at a boot camp, you're not in university. You can't do something like that. Uh, there's a huge community out there. Find somebody who's willing to spend ten minutes, fifteen minutes, just interviewing you to see mm -hmm. how it goes. Get some experience. Even friends and family and like just people you know, you'd be amazed like interviewing itself at the basic level, you won't get that different of an experience from some random person looking up some interview questions and interviewing you than you do in actual interviews because that's more or less how they work. As we were talking about earlier, like their skill as an interviewer might be pretty low. So mm. 
finding a random person who also has low interview skills is still a valid interview thing. They're going to ask similar questions. They're going to ask you about, you know, what was your biggest failure? And you need to describe that, you know. So there's lots of ways you can practice. Or even if they do have some experience, but in a completely different industry. My mother has worked mm -hmm. at Walmart most of my life. She has interviewed probably literally thousands of people. <laughs> and it's a completely different interview, but there are certain questions I know she asks that I ask as well. And certain mm -hmm. things that I'm looking for in the way you react to things that I know she does exactly the same, particularly when you're talking about things like work ethic and evaluating personality mm -hmm. and things like that. It's the same. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Walmart or IT. It's exactly the same sort of things because people are people. Yeah. And I mean, and I generally ask, you know, like, well, t tell me about a big project you worked on. What was successful? What failed? What was your, you know, what was your influence on it? How was the overall thing structured? Like, that could apply to any type of project. That could apply to, you know, teenagers hauling around chainsaws or it could apply to building software in an actual like bootcamp project. But like that's like a really general type of question and everybody asks those types of things. You know, they wanna know what you've done in the past, what went well, what you struggle with, what you, you know, where your main skill sets lie. And the better you can talk to those things, the, the better you'll do in an interview. Yeah, and the other thing is the negatives. A lot of those are the same. If you are constantly mm -hmm. whining about your last boss or blaming other people for all of right. your failures, things like that, it doesn't matter who's interviewing you, they're going to notice that because people notice that yeah. sort of negativity and it stands out. And I certainly, uh, particularly when I was a young, young man in my early 20s, quite often I did find mm -hmm. I blamed other people for my failings and <clears throat> because I wasn't comfortable with myself and a lot of people aren't. That's cool, but... Don't do it in an interview. <laughs> yeah, and if you do come from a bad situation, like you do leave a company for like legit bad, you know, they were horrible <clears throat> employers. They they were getting sued into the ground because they were breaking all the laws. Like you also should practice speaking about that of like, I left because they were unethical, but you know, without blame, you know, without pushing off blame from yourself, yeah. you know. you. If it is a negative situation, then you need to work doubly hard for that one because you don't want to sound like you're just whining. You want them to, you know, so practice, practice. Yeah, uh, practice everything, but not too much. <laughs> Go get a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we talk about like the, the podcast, you know, we have to kind of prepare for episodes to the extent that we can talk on the subjects that we want to talk about. But if we practice it so much that we like know ahead of time what we're going to say, they just come out dry and stilted and everybody hates them. So like there's be comfortable talking about the subject don't practice set lines you know be prepared to answer <laughs> questions about a thing don't have like a speech <laughs> and then to be fair that's how the first podcast episodes went in fact some of them that are still published today i listened <laughs> to one the other day and i thought oh my word <laughs> was i just reading that off a piece of paper <laughs> wow right exactly it's like it and it takes a little bit of practice to kind of disconnect but like it's you know if you can talk to a subject and people can just ask you questions about that subject. That's the level you want to be. You just want to be able to, be able to answer any questions anybody say and talk about it enthusiastically. You don't want to have like set speeches, though you might find yourself repeating yourself a lot. I do that a lot. But Everybody does. <laughs> it's not a it's not a set practice. You know, it's not a, a set speech. It's just like chunks that are things you rearrange and you talk about. And that is one thing that I do like to do. Yeah. I like to have a couple things that I, quite often. I like to think that every once in a while I have some good ideas and different <laughs> unique points of views. And I'd like to come in with a couple of those. So when the moment mm -hmm. is right, I've got something intelligent and interesting to say, hopefully. 
But <clears throat> it's not rehearsed. It needs to be natural. And I just have a general concept. Right. Yeah, well, in, in speeches, they talk when you talk about doing a speech or like a, a presentation, they tell you to practice it. Like you'll set out bullet points, but that's all you do is you just keep practicing it. And you'll find eventually that you say more or less the exact same speech to bounce between bullet points. But you also can totally lose your place. You can go on tangents and bounce back. Like the more you've practiced it, the easier it is to like flow a conversation around those subjects. This is something I've also been learning about teaching. Uh, it's a bit like uh, the, the, the analogy I've been giving. It's a bit like being the, the dungeon master for a D&D group. Like you have this great plot and story and plan for them. And then the first thing they do is like start up a marketing enterprise with the nearest shopkeeper rather than going to the dungeon. And then you have to like drag them to the next dungeon. <laughs> but the more you've practiced this and prepared for it, the easier that is. It's easier it is to keep things on subject while also being able to go on exciting and fun tangents. So practice, but not scripted. Yeah. <laughs> Bullet points, uh, areas of interest that you should visit, but if you miss one, oh well, it's fine. That kind of thing. I think we have an episode there. Yeah, I think That's so. Probably it's been a while since we've actually had a like lot a of proper recording too. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It has been a bit, and for folks who don't know, since I've been teaching regularly, it's a bit of a, a bit of a challenge to do that and schedule these. But my folks are working on a project this week. They're building their their like very first full stack CRUD app thing. It's exciting. <laughs> I keep trying to tell them it's like you're developers now. I know you're only halfway done with the course, but like this is a full time job for some people. I was gonna people. say, I, I was you, you have achieved. I was getting paid when I knew less than that. So yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a challenge. It's like, no, no, no. In living in Seattle, it's a little bit rough, too, because, like, the market is filled with, you know, CS majors and cryptography and math nerds. And just, like, the competition, like, at the high end is ridiculous. But there are still plenty of normal jobs here, too. Yeah. All right. So I will post some transcripts up at gettingappsdone.com. Please be sure to check out my website at joshuagram.info and Cal's website at piffner.com. If you are looking for somebody to do an interview with you and you can't find anybody else, in fact, even if you can't find other people, please feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to help you out with that and give you an interview from us to see how you're doing and give you some feedback because we do think that's really important. And we'd love to hear from you and find out where you are. All right. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.